Hi there, and welcome to The Works. I'm Ben Peltier. And I'm Ben Shea. Later in the show, Baltus is a painter of whom nothing is known. Now, let us look at the pictures. So said the enigmatic Baltasar Klosowski de Rola. Well, we take the enigmatic artist at his word, and also try to make him a little bit less unknown. And we're bringing you our third and final report from the current Venice Biennale as we talk to Xu Bing about his spectacular Phoenix project. But first, apart from direct sales of their works or tickets to their performances, artists rely on support from private patrons, corporations or governments to survive. For governments, art is far from a necessity and the search for ongoing financial support can be both tough and exhausting. For the arts in Hong Kong, most government funding is distributed through either the Arts Development Council or the Home Affairs Bureau, but a new pilot scheme could encourage the private sector to get more involved. The new scheme was announced in February during Financial Secretary John Zung's budget address. The government says that the aim of the scheme administered by the Home Affairs Bureau is to encourage wider sectors of the community to sponsor local arts and cultural activities and to help local arts organizations build closer partnerships with those sectors. Those eligible to apply for the grants come under three categories. One, arts groups who have already completed two rounds of springboard grants under the Arts Capacity Development Funding Scheme. Two, the so-called Big Nine Major Performing Arts Groups and the Hong Kong Arts Festival. And three, the Hong Kong Arts Development Council. 經過諮詢之後,認為可以將藝術發展局是列入一批合符資格的團體裏面 是給到一些資助他們。Essentially, the scheme is an expansion of the Springboard Grants funding that has been running since 2011. But arts organizations are only allowed to receive a maximum of two Springboard Grants. Some smaller groups worry that the continuing emphasis on the Big Nine and the ADC means that the established organizations will continue to have it easy to find funds, but that smaller and medium-sized groups will continue to find it difficult. Many sponsors will still prefer to ally themselves with big-name brands. 
Lin Yao is the CEO of the local charitable arts organization, the Absolutely Fabulous Theatre Connection, or AFTEC, which specializes in bilingual learning and arts education for young people. Although the group's been going for nine years, it received its first springboard grant in May. Four years ago, we had the ACDSF, which is great. We are a recipient. Now we have a new matching grant. What is happening after this? Is, does the government actually have a latent blueprint that it's trying to work out? Or does it not? Does it simply feel that because small-medium groups, like um, there are other groups that have finished with the, the first grant and the consecutive grant, is it because that they've been clambering for more funding that the government has, has um, come up with this idea of a matching grant? So my point is we cannot be doing a stop, start, stop, start along the way. Can we not have something that is more comprehensive? Saxophonist Ao Yin Tak is affiliated to three local non-profit music organizations, among them the Hong Kong Saxophone Ensemble, which has previously had its funding requests rejected by the Home Affairs Bureau. Tak says that dealing with bureaucracy is not the natural strength of a musician. It was difficult to understand the requirements and write the proposal for the application. She'd like to reapply, but is concerned that the group is not high profile or large enough to stand a good chance. Yeah, the greater and I think the more important question is, is this part of a new funding policy for the arts? Over the past decade or two, I have been saying it is important that Hong Kong has not only a cultural policy, which it doesn't have, it needs a strategic arts policy to grow, to nurture, to develop groups at whatever size um, on different platforms. With the Arts Development Council, the ADC, with the um, LCSD and the HAB looking after the flagship groups and, and the ACDSF grant, does this constitute a policy? Like many Chinese artists of the past, Paris-based Yang Jiechang uses ink as a medium in his art, but he often uses it in far from traditional ways. He says that in this time of worldwide chaos, unpredictable change and even hysteria, he wants to bring Hong Kong a little positivity and some auspicious images. And this month, he's done so in two exhibitions of his work presented as part of Le French May. Yang Jiechang was born in Foshan, Guangdong province. Today, he may travel the world and live in Paris, but his Cantonese heritage is still very important to him. Yang was trained in traditional Chinese ink painting and calligraphy, but it didn't take him long to split with tradition. 
his works are considered thought-provoking and controversial. Even as he graduated from the Guangzhou Fine Art Academy in 1982, his graduation works, Massacre and Fire, were rejected by the Academy. He remains determined to stand against conventional and conformist ways of thinking, creating, and living. As part of this year's Le French May, Hong Kong has had the chance to see two exhibitions of his work, 100 Layers of Ink and Good Morning Hong Kong. Eight 即是怎樣用毛筆去參與社會 Growing up in Guangdong, Young was influenced by Cantonese culture and particularly the rising popularity of Cantonese song in the 1970s. He says he hadn't previously realized that art could be so connected to the social grassroots. He was furious with attempts to limit the use of Cantonese and boost Putonghua, particularly in the mass media, in 2010. There are also ongoing attempts to force schoolchildren to speak Putonghua, and teachers are told not to write in traditional Chinese characters. For Yang, this is more than an attempt to suppress local culture, it's a turning away from China's own history. So 文化不是說一個命令下來一定要這樣畫一張畫就文化那些垃圾 Welcome back. Polish-French painter Baltazar Klesowski de Rolla, more commonly known as Baltus, is best known for his haunting depictions of languid young girls and often cats in enigmatic interiors, although his work is much more varied than that. As an artist, he also preferred to be something of an enigma.
Until the middle of August, the Gagosian Gallery Hong Kong, in collaboration with his estate, is presenting Balthus, The Last Studies, a career-spanning exhibition of his paintings, drawings, and photographs. For fans of his work, it's a chance not to be missed. Here to open the exhibition was his widow, Setsuko Klosowski de Rola. The roots of Balthus' work is so deeply in the tradition. When he was 17 years old, he copied old Renaissance fresco, Piero della Francesca and Masaccio he studied. That is quite different with all another artist. And he don't want to be called artist. He used to say, I am a craftsman. And uh, I'm studying always, continuously. And especially what he's interested in is research of beauty. Aim is not to finish that painting. Aim is a sort of eternal research of the composition. The Polish-French painter Balthus, whose full name was Balthazar Klosowski de Rola, was born in Paris in 1908 to a Polish father and Russian Jewish mother. His father was an art historian, his mother a painter. His older brother Pierre was to become a novelist, but as an artist, Balthus himself was largely self-taught. He's best known for his enigmatic paintings of young women in mysterious rooms in a style he called timeless realism, but also painted landscapes, still life, portraits, and took up photography. And there were the frequently present cats he had loved since childhood. Uh, when he was a boy of uh, 15, he was in Switzerland at Bertenberg, and that cat called Frightener, because very strong uh, male cat who made um, uh, frighten everybody. Balthus met Setsuko, who was to become his second wife, in 1962 while visiting Sofia University in Tokyo. She was a student studying French. They married in 1967 and initially lived in Rome, where he was the director of the French Academy's Villa Medici. She worked with him as the headmistress until, in 1977, they moved to their new home, Le Grand Chalet, in Rossignères. In 2002, a year after he died, the Baltus Foundation was established. Setsuko was designated its honorary president. What could look like a minute detail to others sometimes took Baltus a long time to finish. He'd spend a lot of time observing the object and considering the smallest changes. For him, it was part of a lifelong research of beauty. He was a director of the um, French Academy, Villa Medici, from 1961 until 1976. He loved to go to the countryside just to discover some landscape for the old towns. And he asked somebody the way. But after he asked the question, he told me, did you notice the man who explained the way is like the um, face you can see in Caravaggio painting. 
maybe in the sense real life to ask the how to go to the place. But real life for him to look and study the face of the person because he was interested in. Baltus was famously averse to the cult of personality that can afflict artists, once suggesting that the biographical notes for a Tate Gallery retrospective of his works contain only the words, Baltus is a painter of whom nothing is known. Now let us look at the pictures. He used to say, personality, you have to get rid of it, and ego as well, because act of painting you should be united with the universe. It's sort of whole harmony and unite. And in that sense, he would like to remain almost anonymous and not to explain a lot about his work because image is something to look at it. Variations of the bird-like creature known as the phoenix appear in mythology from all around the world, from Japan to Arabia to Russia. China's version, which came to be known as the Feng Huang, has been found on artifacts dating back 8,000 years. In Western mythology, the phoenix is consumed by fire and rises anew from its own ashes. Chinese artist Xu Bing's versions of the ancient phoenix pair arise from waste from modern industrial construction. For our final report from this year's Venice Biennale, we spoke to Xi Bing about his ongoing Phoenix project. We'll end with that for today, but never fear, we too will rise from the ashes and be back at the same time next week. Goodbye. Xu Bing's male and female phoenixes, Feng and Huang, were born in 2008, not long after he had returned to China from the United States to become vice president of the China Central Academy of Fine Arts. He's now the president. The project began when Xu was commissioned to create a sculpture for a glass atrium at the base of the New World Financial Center in Beijing's Central Business District. Xu has said he was shocked by the primitive and low-tech methods being used to construct the building, and he decided that the phoenixes should be made primarily from construction waste. They never did make it to the World Financial Center due to the financial crisis, the launch of the Olympic Games in 2008, and the fact that the building's developers didn't like the association with waste and debris. Instead, they've since taken flight to various locations around the world. They are, right now, resting at the Venice Biennale. So 特殊的在又在水上
，所以才有了那后来的那个 LED 灯光的这些想法。因为呢，这个凤凰它好像有点这个变身似的，白天看或者你近处看，你会有很强的这种现实感，或者说这种沧桑感。那一到晚上呢，这个随着光线的下来以后呢，它那 LED 灯光就会显示出来，最后就很像那个凤凰星系似的，就是它这种很沉重的钢铁的废料的现实的感觉，材质感它就会没有了，就就变得很平很美。说实在，这两只凤凰的尺寸哈，差不多接近三十米。因为中国的现在的尺寸就是巨大的，中国的所有的这种新的建筑和大堂都是非常巨大的，所以呢，才导致了我们这作品的这个尺寸。没有这个中国的现场，也就没有这个尺寸。要没有这个世界的今天的这种各种各样的矛盾和纠结和危机，也就没有这个凤凰它本身的这种。像变形金刚的这种力量